Open up your Bibles uh, at John chapter 6. So obviously we're not going to keep going in, um, in the book of Acts this morning because of what I was saying earlier. And so I've pulled out an old sermon from about six years ago and um, it's been quite an interesting few days. There's kind of three things that happen. One thing is um, I got really humbled. When you look back at something uh, and you go, wow, did I really say that? Um, you know, I don't know, you just kind of go, wow. Like most of the people that I spoke to are still walking with Jesus and they haven't walked away. It's amazing uh, from, from looking at this. But another thing is it just brings so much glory to God, isn't it? Because you do think, man, I can't, it's, it's so, I'm still allowed to speak in the church even though I've said something like this. Um, and so God uses us and he sustains the people. It's not just about what we say. Uh, it's him using his word to work in us. And probably the third thing, it should be a great encouragement to all of us because as you look like six years ago, you go, wow, in God's kindness has really grown me. And, you know, like we're never the finished product. We're always growing as we walk with him. And that should really be encouraging to keep walking with him and look back actually also and reflect and be thankful for how much he's grown us. Okay, so John chapter 6 from verse 1, and if you come up to me after the service and say, Danny, that really was one of your poorest sermons, I'd probably agree with you because of all of those things I just said, uh, but I did do some tweaking on it. But yesterday afternoon, I thought, man, I probably need to rewrite this whole thing. That's how bad it is, but I didn't have time. But here we go. John 6, I've really set the bar really low now, so I think it's gonna, you guys are probably going to go, wow, that was amazing. You, you talked it down so much at the beginning. John chapter 6. From verse 1, and it's a standalone sermon, uh, the words are on the screen here for you. If you don't have a Bible, follow along with us. And we're reading up to verse 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that there was a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to even get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. 
And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, these are two very familiar stories, but we pray that you would show us again the truths of them, that we would come with fresh eyes, and um, yeah, that we would um, kind of stand the test. You know, you, you do a test here with, with, um, with uh, Andrew, and, and, and we are all constantly being tested to see, are we going to trust in ourselves, or are we going to trust in your word? So help us to be encouraged this morning to trust in your word and to not fail the tests, but to endure even when the waves of life are rocky and it's difficult. We know that you will take us to the land to where we're going, the, the land that you have promised to us with you and our Father in heaven forever. So speak to us this morning, Lord, and um, address us as your people as we wander in this world uh, waiting for the time that we reach the promised land. And we pray this all for your glory and our good. Amen. Now, we've all had uh, that feeling, right, where you go, this is what I want, but it's not what I need. This is what I want, but it's not what I need. I had this last night when I went to the rugby at Optus Stadium to watch the Wallabies. Straight off the bat, I said to my father-in-law and my brother-in-law when we got there, I said, look, guys, um, eating healthy is, is not a question. Uh, when you come to the footy, it's meat pies and Coke and beers, okay? So just, just to put it out there, because they're both very healthy. Um, and so that's, you know, and I know that's not what I need, but it is what I want, and it has to happen at the footy. But for other people, this happens when you go to McDonald's, isn't it? For those late-night McFlurry runs uh, that you don't need. Um, or I know when I was much younger, I used to buy like 10 cheeseburgers instead of a meal and somehow thought it was better and healthy and all that stuff. Um, you know, you don't need those things, but sometimes you just want them. Uh, and w- what we also do is we appreciate that mate or that family member or a friend in our lives who tell us actually what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. We, we respect people like that, don't we? And on the other hand, we don't like people who are, for lack of a better word, brown-nosing their bosses or their colleagues or people. We respect them less normally. It's frustrating when you watch them and, and all they're doing is saying to people whatever it is they want to hear so that they can get ahead in life. <laughs> now, when I look back at, at life under my parents' roof, I can think of so many times when, when I hated them because they, they didn't give me what I wanted. But as I've grown up and now I'm an, sort of an adult, um, I, I look back and I love them. And I think, man, you didn't give me what I wanted, but you gave me what I needed. And it's because you love me, because you knew better, and you wanted what's best for me. Now, I'm sure you can think of, think of times when you thought, this is, this is not what I want, but it is what I need. So the opposite to the whole Macca's idea. And I'm hoping this morning you will have that same feeling. So as you listen to Jesus this morning, I hope that you see him as the king that you need, even though he won't simply do for you whatever you want. So let's get stuck into it. I've got three quick things. The first is this, Jesus knows our needs. Have a look there at verse 5. Read that with me. Keep your Bibles open as we go along. 
lifting up his eyes, so this is Jesus, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And so we, so we have this large crowd that's following Jesus. And as it says in verse 2, they followed him because of, they saw the signs that he had done on the sick. And Jesus looks out on this massive crowd, about 5,000 men, verse 10 tells us. So it could have been up to 10,000, maybe 15,000 people if some of them had wives and children and, you know, you all add it up. But either way, it's a huge crowd that Jesus is looking over. And he says to Philip, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all of these people? And, and, and it's an interesting question, isn't it? Why is Jesus even asking this question? In some cases in the Bible, people ask that of Jesus or his disciples ask that of him. But here he, he runs ahead and he says, how are we going to feed all these people? Why does he even want to feed them? I mean, no one came up and said, hey, Jesus, you know, this has been going on for three days been following you, and um, I'm hungry. Well, the disciples didn't suggest that to Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but um, the people uh, that are part of the crowd didn't buy tickets from Jesus either as a show, you know, and part of the deal is a free meal. Um, so Jesus, I think what's going on is simply asking this question because he knows people have needs. You know, it's, it's so beautiful, isn't it, that the God of the universe is on earth and he sees our needs. Uh, in so many religions, God is up there. He's never come down and actually put flesh on and know what it's like to be a human, but not so with Christianity. The beauty of Jesus is that he's not just good at kind of knowing things about us and telling us, but he's also happy to do something about it. And so he knows this crowd's needs for food, and so he provides for them. Have a look there from verse 7. So Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but you know what are they among so many people? And so here we really see the chance of feeding these people, this massive crowd, is pretty much zero, isn't it? So first you have Philip's answer, 200 denarii in those days were about nine months worth of wages for your average laborer. And, and Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, hey, even if we did have this kind of money, uh, it wouldn't be enough to even feed a little bit to everyone here. And then we've, we've got Andrew pipes up, and he points out a little boy, you know, and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish, and, but he also acknowledges, <laughs> what is this among everyone? I'm sure all the other disciples are looking at him going, like, hey, quit, quit the joking, you know, like, come on, Phil, isn't time for jokes? Why point out the obvious? And so both Philip and Andrew's answers are meant to show us that there's no hope of feeding this crowd, nothing. But Jesus views things very differently. Look at what he does from verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers that nothing may be lost. I mean, how amazing is Jesus? I love how he just gets people to sit down. You know, there's no doubt in his mind that he's going to feed these people. He doesn't huddle his disciples together first and say, hey guys, let me just quickly test this. I'm going to see if I can multiply these feasts. No, he just says, get the people to sit down. Guys, food is coming your way. That's the kind of attitude of Jesus. Um, he knows that he's going to feed these people. No doubt in his mind. So he gets everyone to sit down, 
Get ready, food is coming your way. Jesus was certain of it. And we see that in verse 6. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Look at verse 6. He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. And so Jesus knew the needs of the crowd. He knew that he would look after them and provide for their needs, even before they knew or asked. Now let me ask you this. Do you see God? Do you see God? Can you see how Jesus is showing himself to be God himself? Think think about it with me. Think about the Exodus, which is pretty much the backdrop of of this story. And you see that more clearly and more clearly as you read the whole of John chapter 6. But even in our passage, you see it. We've got a mention of the Passover there in verse 4. That's the celebration of God passing over his people instead of punishing them for their sin before before they were freed from Egypt. And a lamb, of course, had to be slain in their place to take the punishment they deserved. And then you've got, so that's the first thing. Number two, you've got the miraculous feeding of a wandering people with bread, what Jesus just did, which is similar to how God divinely fed his people with bread or manna when they were wandering through the wilderness. And lastly, you've got there in verses 16 to 21, where Jesus walks on water. And we've got him leading his disciples across the water. Did you notice there right at the end it says, to the land to which they were going. Now before God's people entered the promised land after the Exodus, they were led through water, weren't they? Across the water, the Jordan. So do you see it? Jesus is reenacting the Exodus, the great story of God rescuing his people from slavery and oppression and leading them through the wilderness by providing for them miraculously, for their every need, water, food, everything. And he takes them to a better land that he promised to give them. And so what we've got here is Jesus is showing himself as the God of the Old Testament by what he's doing. He's showing that he is God, that he knows our needs, and that he's here to provide for us and lead us to a better place. And this reminds me of the picture Jesus paints for us of, um, of our caring father in Matthew chapter 6. Do you remember how uh, Jesus there says uh, that God the Father knows our every need before we even ask him about it? Jesus tells of how God the Father looks after the needs of the birds. The birds aren't, you know, plowing the ground and planting seeds or, or laboring in that way, and yet God looks after them. And he says, are you not? of much more worth than the birds. And here again, we're reminded that, yes, we are. And Jesus knows our needs. Well, think about the winter grasses and the flowers that have recently started popping up with with the cold and the rain. And they'll all die as soon as summer arrives. And no one's looking after them. No one planted them. No one's pruning them. No one's watering them. No one's fertilizing them. No one's whatever you can do with plants. But they're growing because God is providing for them. And are you not worth more than plants that are here one moment and gone the next? Yes, you are. And Jesus knows that and he knows your needs. Jesus has come to show you that he knows your needs and he wants to provide for you. And it made me think as I was thinking about this, it's like, did Jesus come as a bird? No, he didn't. Did he come as a plant? No, he didn't. He came as a human being for you. Because he knows your needs and he wants to provide for us as human beings. 
He knows our needs. But you know what Jesus also knows? He knows our needs, but secondly, Jesus knows that our needs are warped. Have a look there at verse 14. So after this miraculous sign, um, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's coming to the world. And these people see, you know, what I was just trying to tell you of how Jesus was reenacting the book of Exodus. They remember what Moses said. Look, have a look at Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. We actually shared this quite a bit in our Acts series as well. The Lord your God, this is what Moses says, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. The crowd rightly sees that Jesus is the one that's fulfilled this promise in the Old Testament. Jesus is showing himself to be the Moses-like prophet that they should listen to. But look what they do in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. These people want to make Jesus king to provide what they want. They want Jesus to be their king so that he can beat up the Romans that they were living under. You remember how Moses beat up the Pharaoh and the Egyptians that the Israelites were under slavery? Well, Jesus can maybe do the same for Romans. And later on in the chapter, in chapter 6, verse 26, uh, Jesus actually tells the crowd, guys, you're following me because I did that miraculous sign and I fed you all. And really, you're not after me. You're just after all the bread, after the feeding. And so this is a bit similar to what we saw last week with Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. Do you remember? He saw the miraculous signs and wonders that Philip and the apostles did, and he kind of got fixed on the signs instead of fixing himself to where the signs were pointing. And so he got stuck staring at the sign, and he actually missed out on where it was pointing. And so here Jesus does a miraculous sign to show that he's the Moses-like prophet that they should listen to. But instead of them listening to Jesus, as Moses said, they, they get fixed on the sign. And then they get stuck. They, want, they just want freedom and food, essentially. And so they say, Jesus, let's sign this guy up as king. (laughs) But Jesus withdraws himself by going higher up on the mountain. And so what a rubbish end to the story, isn't it? (laughs) It seemed to just have go up to this nice climax, and the next minute Jesus just kind of withdraws. How could a story, such a great story, end so badly? And the reason is, it's because our needs are warped. They twist it. They're not what they meant to be. And Jesus knows this. What this crowd wants in making Jesus king is not what they actually need. And they don't know it because their needs are out of whack. You see, Jesus walked away because it was his way of saying, hey, I'm not going to be the king you want. I'll walk away and I'm going to go do something else at the cross because I'm the king you need. I'm going to be the king you need. Jesus is not the king we want but he is the king we need. And so I guess the question is, what is it that we need? And what we need is we need to be made right with God, our creator. We need to, have a, to be kind of made right and have a relationship with him. I guess like what Craig was saying in his prayer to that psalm. We need to live under God, submitting 
to his way as he created us to do. And this will, it's not a bad thing. It'll lead to life to the full. It'll lead to blessing. It'll lead to kind of deep satisfaction and flourishing. A life of unending joy. It's a good thing. Now, if you told most Aussies that, I reckon you'd cop a spray. Like if I tried that at the footy last night, oh golly. You know, I reckon people would say, my need is to be free. A bit similar to what these guys were thinking. Oh, if we can only get from under the Romans. My need is to do what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. Life's not living. Uh, life is not l- living if you, if you do what God tells you to do, but, but living without limits. That's life. That's what the average Aussie would say, I reckon. No limits to my drinking No limits to what I can watch and where I can go. No limits to who I sleep with. You know, how can you say you've lived if you really haven't gone against what everyone says um, and and everyone's ideas? That's really life, I reckon they would say. Life's not about conforming. It's about you doing what you want to do, being the real you. But you see, listen up, because I think this is the ultimate problem. It has become about what we want and not about what God wants. The Bible teaches us very clearly from right from the beginning when Adam and Eve decided to listen to the deceiver and did what they wanted instead of what God wanted or what God said they needed. Life has not been the same since, has it? It's not what it's meant to be. And we have those same kind of warped needs that's been passed on to us from Adam and Eve, the very same needs that got our whole world and us into trouble. At the heart of our problem is the fact that it's not about what what God wants for us, but about what we want for ourselves. And we think we know better, and really we've taken the wheel from God and said, look, God, let me drive the bus. You've got no idea what you're doing. And I think we just need to look around at our at the world around us is what that leads to if we do that. You look at our world, you look to the relationships close to you. Uh, you just switch the news on for 15 minutes if you can bear it. And, you know, there's sexual abuse, there's murder, there's greed, there's theft. It's not nice. You, you look globally at starvation, abortion, abuse of power, sex slavery, war. It's all, all gone downhill, hasn't it? Surely if we're doing so well, none of these things would be going on. But Jesus knows our needs are what, And so he has come to be the king we really need, not the king we want. And so I guess a question we have to ask ourselves is we think, okay, well, what does this mean for me? Uh, a question we have to simply ask is not simply, is Jesus my king? Because my guess is that most of us here would say, oh, yeah, Jesus is my king. I think a better question would be this. Am I letting Jesus be the king who rules my life the way that he wants to? Not the way that I think he should. I think that's a better question because that'll make clear whether we're focusing on Jesus and wanting him as our king to really just do our own desires or if we're saying to him, Jesus, you're so good, you're so loving, you're so wise, just be my king and, and I trust you. And so how do we know? How do we know which one you're doing? And I want to give you three quick things, all starting with P. Uh, Prayer, praise, and pain. So prayer. When you pray, are you mainly speaking about your desires and what you want and what you crave and 
somehow just asking Jesus to do them for you or provide them for you? Or do you like having Jesus, you know, do you like having Jesus as a powerful king who can provide what you think is best? Now, we can pray like this. Don't get me wrong. Jesus says we can bring anything to him. But if that's all we're praying, if it's all about us, if we're at the center of all of our prayers and all of our desires are at the center of it, I think we're in a dangerous place. We also need to pray along the lines of your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, if we have Jesus as the king we need, our prayers will be shaped more by what he wants for us than what we want for ourselves. And so how is your prayers? What about praise? When you, when you praise Jesus, is it only at times when he gives you what you want? You know, I think this is often a thing. When life is going well, do you praise him? But then when it's not going so well, well, do you stop? Thank, you know, like, and, and, and I think you know, most people is kind of like, thank you for the food, thank you for the holidays, thank you for our health. Is that, is that pretty much it? Or do we thank him for difficult people in our lives? And when there's difficult situations where actually he can grow us and we can glorify him and we can share something of his love with people even though it's costly and sacrificial. Do, do we praise Jesus uh, you know, when we see our kids' report cards? Man, Max's report card came back a while back. And it was like, oh, it's amazing. Or do we also praise him when we see like, them achieve spiritual things, when you see them being merciful and gracious and gentle? So is it just what we want or what, Je- what Jesus might be working in our kids and in others? Do we only praise Jesus when he opens up doors for us that we want open in life? I want this job, Jesus. And if you really love me, you're going to open that door. Or do we also praise him when he shuts doors? We say, you know better. You know what I need. So prayer, praise, and the last one is pain. When you're in pain, do you feel like giving up on Jesus? Or do you feel like drawing closer? Often people would say something like, well, if God is real, why is there so much suffering and pain in the world? And so in our minds, suffering and pain just doesn't produce anything good. And so if God really loves us, well, there wouldn't be any. But Jesus himself was a man of great suffering and pain. And he didn't give up on God. Instead, he said, your will be done, Father, not mine. And so Jesus uses even pain and suffering to provide for us what we need. He grows us. He strengthens us. He purifies us. He makes us more beautiful. It's not necessarily what we want. And so do you happily trust him when it hurts? So we have to constantly check why we follow Jesus, because our needs are warped. And and, and I think the scary thing is we have to watch out that we're not simply trying to have Jesus as the king we want, because he just won't allow it, will he? Like as he did with these people, he just walked away. He's either going to be the king you need or no, no king at all. And this gets us to the last point. So Jesus knows our needs. Jesus knows our needs are warped. And then Jesus provides for our greatest need. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus finished feeding all these people miraculously, they had 12 baskets of food left over. Now have a look there at verse 13. So they gathered them up. And filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. I mean, do you get this? (laughs) 
There are more food left over after Jesus' miracle than before he did the miracle. <laughs> more food left over from be- than beforehand. You know, and Jesus is showing us here that he provides for our physical needs. All those people's tummies are bursting. They've all had their fill. And he provides more. He provides abundantly for God's people. These 12 baskets, you know, if you read your Bible often, you'll know that the number 12 is key. 12 baskets, I think, uh, symbolizes the, the perfect provision for God's people. God's people consisted of 12 tribes, and it started with the 12 sons of Israel. And it also is uh, what Jesus did, didn't he? He chose 12 disciples that became the 12 apostles, and, and the church is built on those 12 apostles and, and, and the prophets. And so this is symbolizing what Jesus did, at least, that that God is gathering a new people with him at the center. And here, what Jesus is showing us today is that he is the one that perfectly and abundantly provides for those gathered people of God around him. And how does he do that? Well, have a look here on the screen with what Jesus says a bit later in the chapter. This is the famous words of him. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here Jesus offers us the bread of life for the whole world. And this is no ordinary bread. You know, ordinary bread like the bread that the Israelites had in the wilderness, doesn't give you life beyond the grave. All the Israelites who had, had the bread um, that God gave them in the wilderness, they died. And I would dare to say that every single person that, that had the bread from Jesus' miracle, they also died. But the bread that Jesus offers for us, even when you die, he says, you will live forever. And once you die, there won't be, that won't be it. There'll be life beyond the grave. And there will be no judgment for you. You won't have to go and pay off your sins somewhere like some people believe. Jesus paid for your sins already when he died on the cross. Look there again at the end of verse 51. Actually, I'll flick it up here on the screen. Jesus says, The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gave up his flesh, his body, his life when he died on the cross. So that you and I never have to experience God's judgment. He's the only one who perfectly did what God wanted, unlike us. And it even meant him going and dying on the cross in a horrible way. Because that was God's will for him and for us, that we might be saved through him. And it's all free. It's beautiful. Free forgiveness and free life. And so I guess the question for us as we kind of start wrapping things up is, is have you been feeding on this bread? Have you been feeding on Jesus, the bread of life, that was sent by your heavenly Father? And notice I'm not asking, have you accepted the bread of life, as if it's something you just do once when you become a Christian and never again. No, this is something that you keep doing. Are you feeding on Jesus, the bread of life? And how do I know this is how we're meant to understand it? Well, I think... Firstly, you want to think about bread being kind of the, the bulk of every meal back in Jesus' day. You know, so people probably had bread 
in the morning, lunch, and, and, and with dinner. They had it all the time, and essentially you needed it to stay alive. And, and I mean, another simple question is, how often do you eat to stay alive? Two times a day, three times a day? And so a, a normal question is, well, how often do you feed on Jesus to stay alive spiritually? It's interesting in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus also teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I reckon he believes that we need to feed on him daily, not just once. And I think if we remember, stand back, remember Exodus being the backdrop of what Jesus is saying. And we remember how God said that he would send his people uh, manna or bread in the wilderness. And he told them to gather bread every morning. And remember what he said? He said, you only gather enough for one day. And and trust me, I'll I'll give you some more tomorrow. And then the next morning when the fresh manna came down, they would go and fetch them. Only enough for one day. Trust me, I'll I'll, I'll provide again tomorrow. And so every day was a day when you went trusting God. And if you try to take too much, it showed that you didn't actually trust his word. But if you uh, gathered up as much as he allowed, you showed that you trusted him. And you know what? Every day is a test like that for us. You know, do you think you can get through life uh, by, you know, and live life to the full by eating bread alone? And don't, don't simply answer that theologically. You know, all of us would probably say, no, no, no. You know, we need to go to Jesus, the bread of life, of course. I want you to answer that question for me about what's going on in your day-to-day life. How often do you set time aside to feed on the good news of Jesus? Just as you set times aside for your meals. You see, friends, even though we've, seen, we've been saved from our slavery to sin by Jesus' death, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're not with him in the way that he promised we will be after after death, when he's raised us to eternal life and we, we're seated with him and we spend eternity with him. We're not there yet, in case you haven't realized. We're a wandering people in the wilderness and we need Jesus, the bread of life, daily to endure till the end. And I know it's hard, you know. You look out at a day like this. We're in July. Look how sunny Perth is. It's hard to tell the people of Perth that we're not in the promised land yet. But I think a worldwide pandemic, uh, a war, rumors of other wars, we were talking about it this morning here, um, you know, things like that, the fact that there are unexplainable diseases, there's a horrible flu season upon us apparently, uh, and and there's a possible recession coming. I think all of those things make it pretty clear that we're not there yet. We're in the wilderness And we're on our way to the heavenly promised land and we need to feed on Jesus if we're going to get there. We need him to be the king that that, that we need, not the king that we want. And so I'll finish off with this. Maybe right now you're going through something that you don't want to go through and you cannot see why. I just want to say, don't give up on Jesus. Draw closer to him. Don't run away from him. Say to him, hey, Jesus, you're in complete control. You're, you're all wise. You're all knowing. And with all of that in mind, and I've seen your love for me in the cross, I trust you. I trust you. What I'm going through now is not what I would choose, but it is made what I need because you are the king that I need and I want you to be the king I need. So lead me through this. 
I trust you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. You are the prophet like Moses who has come to to tell us what it is that we need and we need to listen to you. And as we listen to you, it is difficult. Let's be honest. It kind of grinds against us a bit. And, And part of it is because our needs are warped. We purely look at the physical things and we look with earthly and unsaved eyes in a sense. Uh, But we want to trust you. We have seen your love for people, how you know our needs. You want to provide for them abundantly and um, how you will be the king that we need and not necessarily the king we want you to be. And so please, Lord, would you you help us to see you for who you are? And, And we know everything you've done for people even to your last breath, has not been to benefit yourselves, but to benefit lost people like us, people who think we know what we're doing with our lives. And so we are so convinced that you love us and we want to put our lives in your hands. We want to trust you as our king. Would you help us? Because we are a prideful people. We really do think this, and we think this often, that we can do a better job than you at running our own lives and running the world. But would you show us that you're better and that you're the king that we need? And would you help us as we trust you, Lord, especially when life is difficult, uh, when we're hurting and when there's pain, it's, it's more difficult. But surround us with the right people. Be present with us and give us your peace, Lord. And would you continue to grow us and lead us until one day we get to stand with you in that great heavenly promised land and enjoy life forever without pain without hurt and without any interruptions as we gather as your people around you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.